the big sip. All right, all right, all right, y'all. I am so excited. We are back for another episode of The Big Sip. And here with me, I have Deanna Hawkins, who's originally from Chicago, quit her corporate job to pursue a career as a sommelier in Chicago, has worked at James Beard, award-winning and Michelin-starred restaurants uh, several years ago. She also moved to New Zealand to pursue her master's in wine science from the University of Auckland. And now she is the assistant winemaker and also in the process of developing her own brand, Responsible Hedonist, with her partner. Did I pronounce that right? (laughs) The responsible hedonist, but yeah. Hedonist. <laughs> Close enough. Close, tomato, tomato, I'm learning. <laughs> hedonist. What does hedonist mean? So hedonists are people who really um, enjoy the best of life, like all the good things, everything really pleasurable, really fun. Um, they tend to be a little sensual, but we kind of, you know, me and my partner, we like to have a really good time, but, you know, we still have to go to work at eight in the morning, you know, so you've got to be functional um, and you can still have a good time. So that's kind of the uh, where the name came from. It's kind of like our personal life philosophy. I love that so much. And I can't wait to get into all of that. Um, I'm so excited that you're here, Deanna. And literally, this has been a conversation that I got excited about originally when I was just like, looking into all of the incredible things that you've done. And you actually wrote what initially inspired me to reach out to you was you wrote an article for Vine Pair where you were really talking about your experience here in the wine industry in Sonoma and and how you experienced, you know, microaggressions and overall just what that experience brought forth to you as this person who had been traveling to Napa Valley for the first time. This was going to be your first experience here in the wine industry and all of the different things that your mind was open to through those experiences. So definitely I'm excited to get into the conversation with you about all of that. Would love to know how we differ, how life over here differs from life in New Zealand, especially the wine world. And New Zealand tends to be um, an area that does have a lot of diversity in terms of different ethnicities and people and languages. Um, we tend to think that, that America is sort of that global beam, right? But um, no, there there are so many other places that have beautiful things to offer. So I would definitely love to know what does that diversity and wine conversation look like in New Zealand? And how do you see that maybe comparing the same or differing from what we have going on here? So yeah, we can dive in and maybe we can start with how it all happened. Like what led you to quitting your job and and wanting to become a sommelier in Chicago? Yeah. So um, this was a little bit ago, but I was working in technical sales. So my background is in engineering, actually went to Harvey Mudd College down in Claremont for my degree. So went to college in California um, and I was selling like printers and laptops and like Microsoft licensing that requires, you know, you've got to talk to the IT department to sell it. And like, it is just not sexy or interesting, Um, you know, like selling that stuff, like selling and quoting servers and stuff. It was like, very lucrative Mm. but um I was bored out of my mind Mm. doing it and the good thing is that I had some disposable income so I was like going to wine regions I was buying wine and tasting wine I bought like a little book to like teach me about wine and then I just kind of had this crazy idea where I'm like you know I'm pretty miserable 
I'm pretty stubborn too. So I'm like, you know, like F it, like I'm just going to go quit my job and do this. I had a little bit of savings and those sales jobs. They're all literally always hiring like every week. So to me, there was not like a risk of not ever going back to that job, Mm -hmm. um, at least in my mind. And so I'm like, yeah, I just need a break, like quarter life crisis. I'm going to go work at a retail wine shop and do that. And so I did that. And then I ended up meeting one of my mentors, uh, Rachel Driver Spacken, who's still in Chicago and influenced a lot of people starting out um, in the Chicago wine scene around the same time. And she used to work at this retail shop and I would literally go bother her like every weekend asking her questions. And then I found out that she was leaving to go work at a restaurant and I like Google stalked her and (laughs) sent her my CV. And I was like, I have never done this, but I would really love to work with you. Take me with you. (laughs) Yeah, literally like seriously, I'm like, take me with you. It'll be so much fun. And I remember doing the interview with her and she's like, do you know how to open a bottle of wine in the air? And I was like, yeah no idea what that meant. And she just really, um, I think knew that I was super passionate about it. And then I was doing like a little school program through the, I don't know if it's still around, but it was the International Sommelier Guild. So I was doing like a couple classes through them, Mm. get some, you know, foundational knowledge. So I wasn't just totally like completely green, but I was pretty green. (laughs) Yeah. And everything that you had learned at that point was just out of pure passion and and being interested Mm -hmm. in that world. But you, but you ran with it. You were like, I like this. So I'm leaving what I don't like to pursue something that I do like. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, I can always go back to something boring in corporate. And luckily I've not had to do that. (laughs) How to win. Exactly. Uh, wine for the win. But how great is it to know, too, that when we're presented with moments like that, really taking the time to honor those emotions that are coming up and to really take a deep inventory of knowing that you are the writer of your own story and that you are the writer of what you want your life to look like. And you don't have to remain in a job that you're not satisfied in, that you don't feel is bringing you that extra zhuzh or, or joy in your life. Exactly. Um, you exactly. know, money is great, but you know, it doesn't make everything the greatest. No. And then you spend like what, like 40 hours, but really it's usually like 55 hours of your life every week doing this until you die. And so I'm like, well, if I'm doing that, I'd better be doing something I actually give a damn about. Mm, so. Yes. Yeah. So true. So then, like so, so did she att- like take you on and then started teaching you a whole bunch of things or what, what happened after that moment and the rest of your journey into wine and and then eventually leading into you wanting to pursue your master's in, in New Zealand? Yeah. So, um, she really took everyone on that team under her wing. So we were called wine captains. Um, and this was at a place called city winery. Um, so they, it was like a restaurant and a concert venue, um, but it had this really amazing wine list. Like that was the the whole um, thing. So you're kind of skewing towards a little bit of an older audience. Um, but like we learned everything and the wine list was super deep uh, in terms of the catalog um, and both really classic, but then there was a lot of really quirky wines in there too. Um, and I kind of gravitated towards those like kind of quirky, um, quirky ones. Um, but she really took us under her wing and really taught us kind of everything that she knew. She was studying for some advanced exams. Mm. And so kind of like we were her... Um, we were not her study buddies because I we were definitely not peers, but she was like teaching us the same material. Like the protégés. So, yeah, basically. Seriously, though. And I just, you know, I, I think about all these, you know, you hear about how people have mentors and they're just like taking advantage of them or they're just like doing it for their own ego. Mm-hmm. And she was just completely selfless. And when I told her, I was like, you know, I want to leave and go do something else. She's like, 
Put me down as your reference. And I got this job. It was my first job as a wine director. And like, I, again, had never done this before. You know, I hadn't worked in restaurants for more than like two years when I took on that position. And I was, I was like, Rachel, um, how do I do this? Like how, like, you know, what systems need to be in place? Like, how do I put together like a profit and loss sheet? You know, like, how do mm-hmm. I do this job? Like be a wine director. And she really, uh, again, just kind of like helped me. And I mean, I am still in touch with her to this day. So that's awesome. That. Yeah, no, she's been amazing. And I've had some other mentors too, but um, definitely want to mention her also in uh, Wanda uh, out of, I think she's down in St. Louis now. Super helpful too. You said um, Wanda? Yeah, Wanda Nicole. She's been great. So I did that, was a wine director for a little bit um, for this restaurant group in Chicago, and then ended up working at Lula Cafe. Um, mm. Again, beverage director role. So my first time doing something, not just wine. Like I think people think Psalms just do wine. And like to me, good Psalms do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, like good Psalms will wash dishes. So like if you have a Psalm and you're like, I'm not going in that dish pit, you have never been in a restaurant where that is acquired and you're privileged, you need to acknowledge that. Yes. Uh, but like, seriously, like you should be versed in how to do everything. So hundred um, percent, it's a team environment. Uh, yeah, exactly. And like, you know, I remember having like this really big wedding event and like, I saw the dish pit and like, you know, front of house is like ready to leave. And it's like this poor dishwasher with like a mountain of dishes. And like me and the other manager looked at each other. We're like, we can't leave this person <laughs> with all this stuff. So we're like rolling up our sleeves. They're like, let's get this done, you know? Yeah. Don't ask someone to do something that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself, you know? And it's like, show that you're down for the cause. Yeah, seriously. Um, So yeah, so I did that and then ended up working at a three Michelin star restaurant in Chicago called Alenia. um, And that was kind of my first fine dining role. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really enjoyed it. I know some people think fine dining is like really stuffy and boring. And I got to say it was anything but that. So I actually had a really good time there. It was really refreshing. Um, made some really good friends, had a lot of fun. That's good. Um, yeah. But then, you know, like I was being a Psalm and I really enjoyed it, but I was kind of like looking for the, like something a little bit more. Like I kept having more questions. Like I'm a nerd, like I'm taking everything <laughs> apart and breaking it. And like, can I put it back together? Maybe, maybe not. Don't tell mom. Um, that's Like that's me. And so I was kind of getting all of this like theory and like history and like, here's really obscure facts. And this is like less the restaurant and more just like what you see in like the movie Psalm and stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. like what's the minimum alcohol allowed in Chateauneuf de Pop. And I'm like, "Uh, okay. Um, Most of my guests don't care. And like, I can (laughs) memorize that, but I was like, I have so many more questions. Like, what is terroir? Like, I just was one of those people who like, yes, it's dirt, but I'm like, it's got to be more than dirt. Mm -hmm. And how do you relay that information to someone that can't even, you know, is coming from a very novice level and is like, I don't understand this. Break, break it down to me in like at my level terms. Yeah. So I was just kind of feeling like I wanted to learn a little bit more and wanted to be a little bit more in touch with like a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's what led me into pursuing my master's um, here in New Zealand. And so I thought about going back to school for winemaking, like ever since I left college, but it always seemed like, no, it seems really sciencey, seems really like, I like science, but um, I don't really like a lot of like theoretical chemistry. Mm -hmm. And I remember visiting, um, I think it was Eastern Washington University. It's up in like Walla Walla Valley. And it was just like a guy in a lab suit doing like chemistry analysis. And I was like, I can't do that for two years. You're like, crazy. no. Well, and then like, half the that. half of the, and I don't know maybe what your learning curve is like, but for me, 
I'm such a hands-on person. Like, I can study things all day long mm-hmm. and like, that's great. I know the textbook information about this. But it is so different to be in a textbook mindset as opposed to in the dirt, like with your hands, doing the damn thing and actually there seeing it in person and applying what, you know, you're supposed to be learning in this textbook space to the real life. So so I can definitely see why you why you would not want to be about that. No. And that's what I really liked about the program I did here through the University of Auckland is that it was so hands-on. It's literally based at a commercial winemaking facility. Um, Your dorm is like, well, dorm, it's like a house. It's like right by the winery. So you're like, you're literally living, breathing, walking, winemaking and viticulture. Like you can see the whole vineyard develop over an entire season. That's amazing. You're making wine. Um, And it's really, I think Kiwis just as a whole are, they're very practical people. And so I think what did you just call them? Oh, Kiwis. So um, people from uh, New Zealand are referred to as Kiwis. Interesting. I did not know that. Yes. There's the Kiwi bird. It's this really weird bird. It's like maybe the size of a chicken and has this really long beak. Um, It looks like it's going to fall over, but it doesn't. Um, And it's flightless. It doesn't have any wings. It's kind of waddles around (laughs) and they're uh, native to New Zealand. And so it's been kind of like adopted as the term for people here. So they refer to themselves as Kiwis. Interesting. Um, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're very practical people. So it's like, okay, it's good to, you know, read the textbook, learn the textbook, but like go do it, you know? 100%. And I really liked that. Uh, I think there was one point in school where our program director looked at us. He's like, yep. All right. And everybody looked around. He's like, no, this is you. You're making the wine. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you looking at me? Like go out and do yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah. And I like that. I thrived in that environment. And so I did like really hands-on practical stuff, both in the winery and the vineyard, which I wanted to see both. And most, most other places wanted you to choose one, but I feel like you have to see both. You can't be a winemaker mm-hmm. and not see the vineyard. And I feel like you can manage a vineyard, but if you don't know how the grapes are going to be treated once they go into the winery, I feel like you're missing something. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to see both things. And then I stayed for another year to do my master's um, which wasn't a lab, um, but it was doing something really fun. I was working on that idea of terroir again, original character. I'm in the process of publishing my thesis. One day it will actually be published, I hope. Oh, um, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, doing a little contribution to science, studying yeast, yes. adding to that conversation. So that was pretty fun. It was something I was geeked about and kind of like unraveling a mystery that I'd always had like as a psalm, but like in, in a lab. So that was kind of cool to kind of go see it in real life. So, yeah. For sure. That is literally so awesome. You just went in so many different directions and sound like you (laughs) took advantage of every opportunity that just kind of came your way, which I think is is more of what people should really pursue when you're in it, in the thick of it, just running with it. And like, like you mentioned earlier, you know, it was the first time that you'd been maybe in some of these positions as a wine director, as a beverage director. And even though you didn't necessarily know what to compare that to because you'd never been in a position like that, you run with it and you ask questions along the way Mm -hmm. around the people who surround your circles and you trust in your gut and in your skills and in your willingness to keep learning to be the thing that's going to propel you forward every single day as you're trying to navigate that new space. Exactly. Don't be afraid to ask questions and ask for help. And like Google is there too. So if you have a question, try Google. But then I've also been really lucky that I've had a really supportive network. So Mm. that's been really key to um, that success as well. 
That, that's incredible. That's incredible. How would you say your journey in this psalm world has been like, especially when you look at, again, how things are occurring in New Zealand versus what you first experienced here in Napa? Or I guess before we get to that question, what what was your experience coming to Napa and getting to see this side of, of the world where so many people, you know, are like, oh my gosh, Napa is so great. And it is, it's a beautiful place. Um, But you know, there are definitely these underlying factors and things that Mm -hmm. people go through, people of color specifically, um, that aren't necessarily the the prettiest pictures that are always painted out there for a very specific group of people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So when I finished my um, time in Sonoma, I'll just say I couldn't get back on a plane fast enough. Yeah, I think like I finished the winery on like a Wednesday and then I, my family's in Chicago. So then I drove cross country to Chicago because I brought my mom's car. Um, I did that in about three and a half days. And then I was on a plane by the following Wednesday back to New Zealand because I was like, I have to get out of here. Oh my gosh. It was that yeah. bad. <laughs> it was so bad. Um, and it was, again, like here in New Zealand, it's not like I'm in the Auckland region. So it's pretty, it's fairly diverse up here. Um, but like, you know, it's new when I moved here, I had zero expectations. Right. Mm -hmm. But when I went, was in Sonoma, I mean, I know that there's black people there because I'm American and like, you know, Oakland's not that far away. San Francisco is a pretty big city. And I got there and like, I'll give you an example, like already this week, I have seen more black people in New Zealand walking around, even with the border shut to tourists and travel and everything than I did for the time I was in Sonoma. Like it was just yeah, it was just like, literally, where is everybody? Right, and exactly. Like, and, and like, if nobody, if nobody's here, should I be here? <laughs> no, 100%. It, it makes you start questioning things. And even as a Latina, you know, almost half the population here is Latin American. And I love going downtown, but show me where the other Latinos are First and foremost, who are older than I am, you know, I recognize that I'm a a younger millennial. I'm in that category. And I think about, you know, my parents and the years that they've had here and people in their age groups, you don't see them out and about. You don't see them reaping the benefits of the exact beverage that they're, you know, bending over backwards day in and day out, knowing that they are, they are literally the backbone of of this economy. And so it makes you question who, who is this community for and who are we really trying trying to track to come here. And that's exactly why we need to have conversations about diversifying the wine industry and put pressure on people in those positions of power to make it happen. How do we attract more black people to this community? How do we attract more black talent to this community? Make this community sustainably affordable as well so that people can stay here and actually realize their dreams. It, it was so weird. And again, I think I saw, I saw some Latinas like go to and from school. Mm-hmm. So I lived, I guess, near a school area. So I saw them commuting and I saw them when all the power got cut. But like, other than that, like at the grocery stores and stuff, like other than that, it was just like nobody, like no, no one tan, like just like no one. No culture. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I remember like, you know, that scene where you like walk into a bar and everybody like just stops what they're doing and the music cuts and they all just kind of look at you. Uh, and I'm like, Hello. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go to a different bar. Yeah, no, for sure. I actually remember reading that part in your article that you wrote. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I've definitely encountered that feeling before. And that's why I really related so much to that article because 
there was so much in there that you were so honest and transparent about. And it was like the first time that I, I was like reading this article and I'm like, oh my gosh, so I'm not crazy for feeling this way. And I'm not the only one who's felt this way. And I don't need to think that I'm making things up in my head for thinking that someone was looking at me like that or or the shade that they threw at me and, and microaggressions, which is a huge term that everyone's starting to use now. Your article helped to reinforce all of these emotions that I think sometimes as people of color, we try to tell ourselves like suppress it. Like maybe you're, mm-hmm. you're th- not thinking fully here or maybe they didn't mean it that way. But deep down, like, you know, like you don't get those mm-hmm. feelings out of nowhere. And we've had enough yeah. life experiences and enough situations that we've probably been in where we were made to feel that way to know when it comes up again, this is real. This is valid. Like I am not yeah. okay with how how I'm being talked to you right now with the the side shade that you're throwing wrapped around maybe some pretty words. So it's kind of trying to make it look like you're not really offending me, but you 100% are. Yeah, it's just, it, it makes you feel like, like I basically left wondering if I was ever going to work in the wine industry in the US. That mm. was pretty much how I felt when I left. Um, I think now I don't have that same intense feeling. But at the time I was like, I can't like, cause I, you know, I wasn't originally, we weren't sure what we were going to do when I finished school, me and my partner. And then we decided that we were going to stay, but like, we were originally thinking about like, oh, you know, maybe we move back to California, you know, um, maybe we go to Oregon, maybe we do this, maybe we do that. And then after the experience, I was like, nope, <laughs> not doing that. See, that makes me so frustrated and it makes me sad because you think about how many people have felt that way and how many how much incredible talent gets completely removed from the picture mm-hmm. and exactly gets lost simply because white community members, and I'm going to throw it out there because we don't need an elephant in the room, don't sometimes comprehend and understand their interactions and their unwillingness to really look at how they're engaging with people of color and how welcoming or not welcoming they're being in that sense. And in the ways that, you know, they're highlighting and placing people in those positions to feel empowered, to be like, you know what you're doing. You've got the education. You've got the knowledge. I don't need a second guess you. How much of that gets lost in the mix and how many people stop pursuing their dreams and their passions simply because of the way that others make them feel from either not belonging or creating all of these different microaggressions or making it seem like we don't know what we're talking about or or any of these different aspects. Yeah, I think we're losing a lot of people and we're and we're turning a lot of people off to wine in general, right? Because I mean, mm. I'm pretty stubborn, I'm pretty resilient. Um, I already had a career in the wine industry. So like, I already kind of knew what's up. But like, if you were just starting out, and that was your experience, of course, you're probably not going to continue. And you're going to go do other things. And maybe you stop drinking wine, or you, you know, completely pivot in a completely different direction. And then I also think about, you know, what I experienced was a lot of microaggressions. Um, and kind of like that, like subtle, like racism where like, I don't think they knew that they were being racist, but that's kind of what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was also, I thought a lot of generational too, mm. where I was like, how are we ever going to get millennials in this, in this way? Like there were times when I literally felt like I was being held hostage by grandpa, like could not, you know, get out of listening to the story. And it was all just like for their ego. Yeah. There was no, like, there was not that, um, like, you know, when I've been really fortunate with my mentors where like that knowledge transfer is there. Um, a lot of my mentors have also been white. So like, I know that it's not 
impossible uh-huh. um, to have that knowledge transfer, but it's like respectful and you communicate and it's like two way. It's not just like, you know, you're just supposed to, you know, don't say anything, just absorb the knowledge and be like, thank you. Thank you, Matt. You know, like <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, that's not <laughs> like, that's not mentorship. And no. so I think that we need to, you know, talk about that as well. And I think it's, it's all related, you know, it's, it's all it's intertwined. All yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's got to stop. And, and knowledge, like you hit it right on the head when you said it needs to be this two-way street conversation. Like everyone's a student for life. It's not, you are the end all be all and only you can give nuggets of information and I'm just supposed to take it. Cause then how are, how is that transfer of information and really growth happening and occurring in that moment when you're not willing on the other end to be able and willing to receive the knowledge and the information in order to produce the best thing that you can produce. And I do absolutely agree with that in terms of there being also a generational issue here. I think there's almost like this desire to preserve wine and like this old sort of landscape <laughs> appeal on like it needs to be kept right here and I'm oh, like I'm so no with it. let yeah. people be creative and have fun and oh like yeah. create more of these quirky wines right that so many people feel like they can then see themselves in because it's not this very one-dimensional we're only operating within these very confined lines it's really yeah. allowing people to take their knowledge their experiences their background their own expertise and running with it and seeing what new cool things you're able to create and the new people that you're able to loop in. And I think that's what's missing, right? Is is we've always just kind of marketed wine to be for a very particular group of people, which means that we've left out almost everybody else who doesn't fit within that little tiny box. And, and that's, that's wrong. And that's bad because how do you, when all of those people, you know, die off and go into the (laughs) other world, who's going to be there to consume those beverages? If you shut out an entire category or categories of people from, you know, not being willing to have them in your conversations or show them, you know, in your marketing, when it comes to who's welcomed into this space and and everything that comes with that. Yeah. And that's um, kind of exactly why me and my partner, um, working with my husband, we're starting Responsible Hedonist. So we're trying to create this wine brand because we want just wine to be fun. Like it's the, at the end of the day, an agricultural product mm-hmm. um, made from, from grapes. It's like, we don't treat orange juice like this. We don't treat apple cider, you know, ciders like this. We don't treat beers like this. Um, why do we do this to wine? we're losing so many people. And I really don't think that that's what wine is about. Like to me, wine has always been a really fun beverage. It's, I got into it when I was in college. So maybe I'm nostalgic, but it reminds me of just like hanging out with my friends, trying new stuff. Cause we thought we were being fancy and like, you know, drinking it out of solo cups and just having a good time. (laughs) Yeah. Like to me, that's what it should be about. And like, as a winemaker, I aspire to make, you know, like really serious wines, I guess. But like, I just want people to have a good time and enjoy it. You know, like come as you are, drink what you want. And like, let's just have some fun. 100%. So, it's about that community. Yeah. It's about knowing that this beverage is crafted by so many different individuals who touch it. And by the time yeah. it gets to you and your circle of friends or your family or whoever's there to enjoy it, 
Like that's what it's done. It's brought people together. And so why then are we trying to make it into this exclusive thing where we don't want all of these different incredible groups and cultures to come together and, and engage and celebrate in a beverage that tastes so good made by all sorts of people and a perk. Definitely sometimes people who look exactly like you and it doesn't need to be super expensive. We can make wine accessible to everyone. It can be wherever you're at. Like there's good wines to be had at every price level. And I know this because I've made my wine list the idea that if you only have, you know, it was very important to me when I was a wine director that like you could find a $10 glass pour. Mm. When I had full control of my wine list, it's like you have to find at least 10, preferably nine. I could scale up, but that was like a bare minimum because, you know, that's a little bit more than a beer. Maybe it's about the same as a cocktail in Chicago, maybe a little less. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's got to be accessible. It's got to be like you just have to make it available to everybody. You can't just be like, oh, no, it's only $16 and up. To me, that's not really that's not really fair. And then I also think that one of the things we want to do is we want to bring people along for this journey to really talk about what is it to be a winemaker? What mm. is wine like? Let's kind of start over because we've got like, you know, wine over here with all these like people in the upper echelons basically smelling their own farts. I said that <laughs> with all the respect in the world. No, I know, I know. People, if you want to invest, we're here. Um, but at the same time, I want to be sure that we're, you know, really meeting people where they are. Like people don't know what wine is. Mm-hmm. And it's the only beverage or really food category in general where as a consumer, we tell you, you need to read a book. Mm. Why are we putting that barrier there? Why should people need to go spend their own time to read up on something to be quote unquote cultured enough to get it? Right. If you open a bottle of wine and you pour it, people like it or they don't. You don't need to make them pretend that they like it because they read something that says that they should Mm -hmm. because that's making people feel, you know, not great about themselves, in my opinion. Like I've had, um, I remember working at one of this, this one restaurant um, where there was a very long wine list and this gentleman clearly was on what looked like maybe a, a date, like he really wanted to impress her. And he opened to the wine list and he's like, yep, I'll take that. And he was actually pointing to um, a page number for Burgundy because he legit thought that it was a bottle of wine and not like an entire section of the wine list. It, but he didn't want to ask for help because in his mind, he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm here. I got to look I'm, like I know what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. And if he's like, I don't know what I want, just I just this is what I like. And so I kind of led him in that direction. We, we got him like I got him a bottle that he was happy with that, you know, he could feel good about. I also wasn't like this is a table of condos. I'm like, oh, great. Let's let's talk about this. Let's talk about Pinot Noir. Let's see what you like. Um, but like people really don't know. And this whole idea that you're supposed to just suddenly be knowledgeable about a category like people don't have time for that like mm-hmm. people have jobs people have lives and again like we're not doing that with a lot of beers we're not doing that mm-hmm. with like hard seltzer you don't have to like read a book to understand white claw so like why <laughs> on earth do we do this with wine and then we're like why are all the young kids drinking all this hard seltzer and you know, hard kombucha. I'm like, because it's pretty easy to understand. It is that. And then there's also (laughs) the other aspect, which is a a lot of people, again, naturally, whether we're talking about wine or not talking about wine, when you don't understand something, you get nervous and it makes you not want to dive in all the way. And even when you ask someone a simple question, like I, I host virtual tastings during the day as like my career, look what I do. And it's so interesting just talking to people because we'll just be talking about like, what do you smell? You know, not supposed to be this very cerebral textbook answer. And everyone is always so scared to talk about what they're smelling, what they're getting. And it's like, there's, 
it's almost like this fear, like they have to say the right thing based off of the things that are in the books that educationally wise you should be speaking about and using certain lingo. And it's like, no, wherever you're at in that space, Mm -hmm. like use that, like you are your biggest advocate and you have very unique experiences that are clearly going to bring up different smells and maybe different associations with this wine. And it doesn't need to be the exact same thing as somebody else. Like this is very personal to you. And we don't, I really don't feel like the industry really emphasizes that. I feel like they try to tell everyone you need to be in line right here in this square or in this bubble and anything outside of that, you're probably not getting it right. Yeah. Like that's just right up bullshit. Like that's not how it should be. And we have to remember that that bubble tends to be very uh, like white male and all of those flavor descriptors are typically like British. Like, I don't know what a gooseberry is. I mean, I know what it is, but like, I have not encountered it or my favorite, um, it, you know, it's just nobody's encountering these things like red and black currants, mm-hmm. fresh red and black currants. It's like, okay, I found them dried here in New Zealand. And I finally was like, this is what this is. But like most people in the US, especially most people, you know, in rural areas too, because like, let's talk about that too, because there's this Mm -hmm. urban rural divide, Mm -hmm. like they don't have access to this stuff. Yep. And if you're like, oh yeah, classic notes for Cabernet are like cigar box and black currant. Okay. Um, Maybe people know what that means, but maybe they don't. And you shouldn't make them feel like an idiot for having a different flavor descriptor. Exactly. Exactly. Like like I used to tell people all the time because like I would pour them wine as a psalm and they'd be like, oh, well, what am I supposed to be getting? I'm like, no, I'm not going to tell you. You tell me if you like it. Mm-hmm. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. And you're supposed yeah. to tell me like what you're getting and you're not going to be wrong about whatever it is no. that you're getting. Exactly. And if you tell me you don't like it, it's my job as the wine professional to find you a wine that I think you're going to like better. But the onus is not on you. You're just supposed to have a good time and like just relax. And so that's really what we want to do. We want to help people relax, have a good time, you know, kind of meet the category in a new light. Um, We're going to start off with some basics, just like what is wine? We have this, we're calling it the WTF series. (laughs) I love that. What is wine? You know, like, let's talk about what is wine. Let's talk about what's a winemaker. Because when you look at all those photos of people like with a glass of wine in front of a vineyard, let's talk about how that really just means that they have either vast amounts of wealth, um, access to wealth, or enough generational wealth that they converted their family's ranch into a vineyard. Let's talk about why, you know, I tell people, you know, me me and my partner were starting a wine brand. Oh, where's your vineyard? I don't have one. What? Oh, where's your winery? I'm not going to have a winery. I'm going to do like a custom crush facility. Mm-hmm. Well, and are you really a winemaker? And it's like, yeah. yes, I am. <laughs> yes, like, I am. I made the damn wine. So yeah. I am a winemaker. <laughs> Yeah. So we're hoping to um, curate some wines this year that we really like. Basically, this year is kind of like a awareness fundraising thing, showing people what it is to be a winemaker, reintroducing the category. Um, we're kind of live, uh, blog, not blogging, we're Instagramming the experience of like, how would you do this if you wanted to like start your own wine brand? Because people don't talk about that either. I love and that. Like, and like when people have this idea of like what it is to be a winemaker and they think about the vineyard and the winery, I don't think that like these are consumers. These aren't people in the wine industry. Like mm-hmm. we've been telling them that, that this is what it is. And like that's a multi-million dollar investment. Mm-hmm. And like I'm black. Uh, we do not have multi-millions of dollars just lying around for me to like play with for however long. Because the margins of the wine industry are very, they tend to be pretty low. Um, and it's a very challenging industry. And so I really want to just like, let's take a step back. Like, let's talk about 
what all of this means. We want to do a transparency model. So, you know, like how much is going, how much of like, when you see a price for a bottle, how much is everything going to like, how much is wages, Mm -hmm. how much is shipping, how much was the grapes, um, all of that. So we're trying to really kind of flip the script and make it a little bit more transparent. Yeah. Yeah, Transparent. Cause you mean, you can't be accountable if you're not transparent and you can't bring people with you if people have no idea where they're going or what you're about. Mm. So yeah, we're just, we're trying to do something a little different. That is, that is amazing though, because I'm like already like just listening to you talk about, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is literally going to change the game. Like people are, (laughs) are going to recognize, like if you have a passion, we don't need to make it seem like you're not welcome into this space simply because you don't come with the fourth generation family history of someone who's been doing this. If it's something that interests you, get curious enough to just dive right in and we're going to teach you the basics on like, what is a winemaker? What does it mean to be a winemaker? Like, what does that process actually look like? And I think that by taking people along with you, as you specifically mentioned, it's going to make them want to invest more in you, whether that be physical dollars wise, right? Financial resources into your business or just people who are really going to be attracted to your brand because they recognize like, this is someone that I I can see myself in this brand and, and it's meeting me exactly where I am. And I think that that's the thing that people aren't willing to enter right now. They're not willing to share that information. Everybody has to be super secretive about what they're doing. And I'm like, Why don't you know that when you share information, like people actually are able to reap better things from it? Like it just, it doesn't make sense to me. And so the fact that you're choosing very thoughtfully and intentionally you and your partner to lead and start your brand in this way, I, I, one, just awesome. Congratulations. And then two, I'm just so excited to see what's going to come from that. Um, cause I, yeah. I, I can only know there's going to be some amazing things. Does that mean too, like knowing that you kind of want to approach the wine industry in a different way, are you going to be focusing on great varietals that are, you know, not traditional like Sauvignon Blanc or like what, what's the focus area going to be on those varietals? And when it comes to how you approach wine and your winemaking expertise, yeah, so the focus, so the company is based in New Zealand. And so people pretty much just know New Zealand for Sauvignon Blanc. And that is great. Sauvignon Blanc is great. Um, but there are so many other wines here. And like, I've heard stories of winemakers like calling their import and being like, oh my God, I just made the best Albarino in the world. Do you want any? And they're like, no, I just want Sauvignon Blanc. Or, oh man, I just made this really great Cab Franc. It's so fruity. It's really lovely, little hints of violet and lavender. And they're like, oh, thanks. Call us back when you have more Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> just shut down. Like people just refuse to bring it into the US. And I think I understand why. But then when I ask people like consumers, hey, have you ever had anything from New Zealand other than Sauvignon Blanc? They're like, now that you mention it, no. And I'm like, would you? They're like, I don't see why not. Yeah. Like not like they're it's not like people brought over a bunch of like New Zealand Chardonnay and it did not go well it's like they only bring in Sauvignon Blanc and I know you know it's a cash cow it does very well but there are so many other things in New Zealand mm-hmm. that are really perfect climate I think for making some really lovely aromatic whites um there's some regions that do some really great red wines like I mean I've met songs who like are from really top restaurants who I tell them I'm like 
New Zealand Syrah is amazing. And they're like, I have never even heard of that. Or I've not even had one, like seen a bottle of it in the flesh. And I think that that's just, a, I think that's tragic. So we're pretty small, we're pretty stubborn. We're gonna try to bring some atypical varieties from New Zealand to the US. And I think honestly, given a lot of people's palates, I think that they would do pretty well. So for sure. We'll Maybe sure. there's a reason, but I don't, I just think it's because people don't want to, nobody wants to move first. Exactly. People are, people are nervous and they're like, maybe I won't see a return, but then where's the risk with where there's right. risk, there's reward. And well, even, we'll and even, no, cause even when you fail, like, did you really fail? Cause you learned something, if anything, yeah. right. And you tried something new, you put yourself out there. Um, but everything that you've, that you've shared so far and how you've led your life and in the different spaces in which you've operated in, it does not sound like, you know, any of that part went so far astray that you were like, there's no coming back from this. Like you just continued to move forward in everything in spaces that maybe you hadn't operated in before. Um, and, and you just continued. So this is going to be a new, exciting venture. And I'm so excited to one that's finally here to get my hands on some of that. Um, and just continue to see, you know, your, your growth and, and all of the different beautiful things that you bring to the table as a winemaker. I appreciate that. And as soon as we have the wine, we're still, again, like, I think it's important to start early. So we're showing people the process, but we are hoping to have wine later this year. I'll definitely let you know, kind of like Q3, Q4 is when we're targeting. We'll see how far we get. Um, I'm optimistic though. Um, but I do want to say just an earlier comment I, ma- I made about, you know, people who do have, you know, those really strong family legacies, those really, you know, maybe you did inherit your vineyard, things like that. That's fine. Like I'm not right. bashing people who do that. No. I think you can do really interesting revolutionary things with that as well. And I've seen it done. I just think it's unrealistic to say to everybody that you're not a winemaker unless it's that. Exactly. That's the attitude that the wine industry has had a lot of times. And like, I'm going to be honest, I know people who I've been guilty of this myself, like taking photos at vineyards that like I do not own drinking wine that is like far cheaper than the, you know, the wine that's at that vineyard. But I know a lot of winemakers who do that too. Mm -hmm. They're like promo shots and stuff. And I just think we just need to be more honest about it. Exactly. And that's where that's where I really appreciate the fact that you're willing to from the moment head on as you're starting responsible hedonist wines. Am I saying that right? Hedonist. Yeah. (laughs) That you're willing from the get go to be transparent, because I think that is how we start looping more people into this conversation and acknowledging like this is what it is. And, you know, if it's not the way that you've always pictured the wine industry, well, then good, because it means that there is room for growth and there is room for change. And we need a little bit of that. Oh, my God, we need so much. But we'll start with a little. Well, we'll start with a little and work our way to a whole lot of (laughs) Mm -hmm. what's the in everything that you've learned then and in your whole journey, I guess, what is that one big piece of advice that you would give to people who might be experiencing microaggressions that make them question, you know, whether or not they should remain in this industry or advice to people who just are curious to try something different? I think if you're experiencing microaggressions and things like that, um, I think I want to dispel this idea that you have to just keep going and take it because that's how it always is. Mm. Like know your worth, know your boundaries. And if I don't care what the opportunity is, like, again, like I'm older than I look. So like, maybe this is just my years of age getting to me. Don't put up with that bullshit. Like, just go. There's going to be somebody else who sees you for you, appreciates you for you, recognizes your talent, and you just are at the wrong place. And that's not your fault. It's theirs. Mm. And so that would be my advice to that person. 
And then to people looking to try something new, just go for it. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, like, unless the new thing is like, I don't know, you're going to go take like a selfie on a cliff. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're going to try a new bottle of wine that you haven't had before and you're a little adverse and it's like, you know, maybe the same price as what you usually get or maybe $2 more, just go for it. You know, uh, do a little Instagram video, see, do like a live tasting, see what you like, see what you don't. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. If you don't like it, it's all right. It won't, it's not the end of the world. 100%. Oh my gosh. That's so awesome. I'm definitely going to be keeping in line with everything that you're doing. This is so exciting. And thank you for sharing, you know, just what that entire journey looked like for you. It's so incredible to just know and hear from you from the start, sort of what this journey looked like and how you just kept moving through things despite maybe not 100% um, having been in those positions before. It was that curiosity and just your passion for this industry that's propelled you to where you are today. And I think that that is a big, huge lesson and uh, inspiration for so many people to take away from this is knowing anybody can do it and, and you certainly can do it. And, and it's a, a welcoming space for more people to feel empowered to, to know that they can do it too. I know you've got a, a meeting that you got to go take care of right now to actually talk about your label design for responsible yeah. hedonists. So um, I'll let you get to it, but thank you for joining me here on the big sip. This was absolutely awesome. If people want to stay in contact with you or figure out, you know, how they can support um, your business ventures and everything that you're bringing to the table, what is the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so you can reach me. I'll just give you my personal handle because it's a little shorter, but it's uh, Vine Noir, like Pinot Noir, but Vine Noir. And uh, the handle for Responsible Hedonist is even longer than the name. It is Responsible Hedonist Wines because this is funny. Responsible Hedonist is taken, but they have no posts on Instagram. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That is. I'm like, who's taking this name? <laughs> yeah. I was like, come on. How is that taken? I'm like, that's Awesome. Responsible Hedonist Wines and Vine Noir. I hope everyone goes and hits that follow button. Definitely someone whose cup you need to be sipping from on the daily. I will let you get to it, but cheers to you and to everything that you and your partner are creating and in, in your whole wine journey. And um, I'm excited to to keep learning more. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Mmm, the big sip.